The disciple is meant to have integrity between inward purity and external piety. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we stand here before you today, serving you in worship, each one of us here today can make this claim. We are hypocrites. That which is on the inside is not consistent with that which we seek to show on the outside. And yet, even as we admit that, we know, even as we have just sung, that Jesus is in the business of making us pure inwardly. And so today, Lord, I pray that you might work that good work in us, even as we admit we're hypocrites. Father, we commit ourselves to you. May the words of my mouth be pleasing and faithful and true. May we give ourselves to that which is true eternally, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In our current sermon series, we're looking at a portrait of a disciple as Jesus describes the disciple in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Today we'll be looking at the sixth Beatitude. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, beginning with verse 2, and we will read through verse 8. The word of the Lord. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may God the Holy Spirit use this perfect word to revive our souls this morning. You may be seated. The late Chuck Colson in his books, in his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, tells of a story when he visited Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow. He describes the cathedral as a magnificent example of Gothic architecture with all of the external features of that great cathedral pointing to God and to God's worship. Under, under the communist government, as we all know very well, they sought to eradicate God from culture. And in fact, they sought to eradicate God from inside this cathedral. The communists repurposed the inside of this cathedral by building, at the time, the world's largest indoor swimming pool. And so as, we, as, as Colson stood there looking at this external facade that pointed to God, the interior was repurposed for man and man's recreation. Thus, there was a disconnect between the external and the internal. And this is an example of the old adage, you can't judge a book by its cover. Who would have guessed, unless you had read in a magazine or been told 
that standing looking at that magnificent cathedral pointing to God that on the inside there was a swimming pool. You can't judge a book by its cover. What Jesus in the sixth beatitude teaches, a disciple is meant to focus on inward purity that flows outward into external piety. In other words, our behavior must be fueled by our heart, our inward purity of the heart. A disciple's inward purity is meant to be judged by the disciple's cover, that is, his behavior. There shouldn't be a disconnect. There should be integrity between what is on the inside and what is lived on the outside. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, said our Lord. And as we turn to this sixth beatitude this morning, we'll look at three things. The primacy of the heart, the problem of the heart, and then the purity of the heart. My car is powered by what happens under the hood internally in the engine. Now, I'm not an auto mechanic, nor was my father. He was an airplane mechanic. And so I'm not here to give a dissertation on the internal combustion engine, but suffice it to say, my car moving down the road, obeying all speed limits and other laws, especially on Rolling Road, is powered by what's going on inside that eternal combustion engine. The name really makes the point, internal combustion. And I would submit to you this morning that the very same thing is true of the disciple of uh, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart. And so the first thing for this morning is to consider the primacy of the heart, the importance, the the determining factor of what's going on inside of us with regards to how we live life. Jesus uses heart here, obviously not speaking of the physical organ, the heart, but the inner man or the core of what makes a person a person, the seat of our minds, our emotions, our will, those three components historically understood of the of personhood. It is the seat, it is the source of our emotions, our thoughts, our motivations, our courage, and our behavior spring from what's going on inside, inside that inner person, as Paul says, the, the inner man. Our external behavior is governed by the state or the condition of our hearts. For example, a person will never truly repent of his or her sin and turn to Christ in saving faith if that heart, that inner man or inner woman is not transformed radically by God 
in regeneration, that is, giving that person a new heart. As Dan read, read this morning from Ezekiel 36, taking that heart of stone, that heart that loves sin and hates God, that heart that overflows with sinful behavior until God takes that heart of stone and literally rips it out and replaces it with a heart of flesh, a new heart, a heart that loves righteousness, a heart that wants to obey, a heart that loves God. That person is not going to see sin, repent of it, and, turn, and even be, have the knowledge that Christ is the Savior and then turn to Christ and trust him for forgiveness of sins. In other words, you can read your Bible, you can live a perfect Christian life externally and still go to hell. Let me just ask you, do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. And I just simply say that to make the point that what's going on on the inside is determinative. Yes, behavior, righteous living is essential. Obeying God is essential. But that really flows from what is determinative. And that is that, that inner work of God's grace to give us a new heart, a heart that seeks him. The primacy of the heart is seen in Scripture. Here are just three examples. Keep your heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Ezekiel 36 that Dan read, just a couple of verses. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. You see, before the people can walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, they must have a new heart. Do you see the priority of that inward work of grace in the giving of a new heart? And then Matthew 12, 34 through 37, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Parenthesis, if you really want to judge the condition of your heart, just analyze the words you speak. Our words are a window into the heart. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's terribly convicting, by the way, in parenthesis. Now, Jesus' words. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, will give, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why did Jesus say that? Because our words reveal the condition of our heart. Simply put, we live out of our hearts, 
what Proverbs says. That's what Ezekiel says. And that certainly is what Jesus says in several places in Scripture. We live out of our hearts. Our hearts must be our priority. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the, the Christian faith ultimately is not only a matter of doctrine or understanding or intellect, it is a condition of the heart, not primarily a matter of conduct and external behavior. And here Lloyd-Jones points to and acknowledges that doctrine and understanding and intellect are essential but not primary. What primarily matters is the state of our heart. He goes on to say, blessed are those who are pure, not merely on the surface, but in the center of their being and at the source of their every activity. And that source is the heart. Lloyd-Jones continues, the gospel always emphasizes that. It starts with the heart. We must prioritize the heart if we seek to be who we are meant to be, according to Jesus. The, the disciple is meant to have integrity between inward purity and external piety. In 2011, in fact, November 11th, 2011, I, went, I underwent open-heart surgery to replace my aortic valve. It was a problem due to a congenital heart defect, though outwardly I was a picture of health. I had no symptoms, but the echocardiogram and the series of echocardiograms that I had had over the years pointed clearly to a downward trend in my aortic valve function. And if I, if I did not have that heart problem corrected, I would die at some point sooner than later. It was a fatal defect if not corrected. It was very strange, I must admit, to be sitting there on that table with the surgical staff preparing me to go into open heart surgery, feeling perfectly fine. Similarly, there are people all over the world today, maybe even here this morning, that feel perfectly fine, but are unaware of a fatal spiritual heart problem. And the problem is not physical. And what is that problem? Jeremiah clearly tells us the problem in chapter 17 and verse 9. For the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus diagnosed the heart problem when he confronted the Pharisees in another passage of Scripture in Matthew, chapter 23 and verses 25 through 28. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. 
but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Then in Matthew 15, verses 19 through 20, And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. That is really what Jesus is saying here in this sixth beatitude. Our default setting is to deal with the outside of the cup and ignore the inside of the cup. And Jesus says just the opposite. The priority is the problem of the heart, the inside of the cup. If you want to be truly clean on the outside, then you get busy with the inside. The Pharisees were masters at ignoring the heart by focusing on external acts of piety, looking good on the outside, while all the time their hearts were literally cesspools overflowing with sin. And this is a profound example of hypocrisy. In fact, much of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is confronting the hypocrisies of the Pharisees who are so focused on external piety, on fulfilling the letter of the law while ignoring inward purity and the spirit of the law. You just read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You'll see Jesus time and time again calling the Pharisees to do the very thing the Pharisees do not want to do, and that is look at the heart. And before we beat up on the Pharisees too much, we have the same problem. We, by nature, ignore, want to ignore the heart. It's so hard for us to look inside. Why? Because it's messy. And we can finagle for a time external conformity to the law. And we can look very Christian. And we can look very disciply. While on the inside is a cesspool overflowing with sin. And what about our hearts? Yes, on the one hand, we have been graciously and mercifully and powerfully saved. We have a new heart in regeneration. We're no longer in bondage to sin. Yet our hearts continue to be stained with sin, stained with that old nature even as we're being sanctified we're continuing to struggle with impurity in our heart and hypocrisy on the outside if not sinful behavior on the outside so it's a really mixed bag isn't it the Reformation slogan, simultaneously justified and sinful, describes us. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in spirit. This is why he 
deals with the inward purity of his disciples because of the very problem we have as we are being sanctified we continue to struggle with sin we continue to ignore what's on the inside we continue to fake living the Christian life on the outside hypocrisy the actor in the Greco-Roman culture of Jesus' day was called a hypocrite he was called a hypocrite because he was an actor because he would hold up a mask in front of his face to pretend to be someone he was not and Jesus takes this theatrical term and applies it spiritually to show how easy it is for Christians to put on a mask to appear spiritual while they are overflowing with sin on the inside John Stott said this, we are tempted to wear a different mask and play a different role according to each occasion. This is not reality, but play acting, which is the essence of hypocrisy. And the Beatitudes shows we are, we are not meant to be hypocrites. We are to have integrity between our inward purity and our external piety and the determining factor is what's going on on the inside the focus must be on the heart external behavior consistent with godliness is essential but to avoid playing the hypocrite our primary focus has to be on inward purity You know, I'm looking at a bunch of people that have masks on. And I'm not thinking of you as a hypocrite. But as we focus on internal purity and that flowing into external piety, then in the truest sense of the word, every disciple must be an anti-masker we must be against playing the hypocrite in chemistry lab in my former life those of you who don't know I was a chemistry grad student and in my lab I was doing a very particular experiment with some very dangerous uh, chemicals organoborane oxidation reactions in case you're interested if you want to read my dissertation I'll, I'll let you it's very very thrilling and I fought purity every day of every experiment and the one contaminant that would not only cause problems but might cause a fire in my experiment in my reactions was believe it or not water my reagents my experiment had to be free of h2o or it might explode and if it did explode and start a fire 
you could not use a fire extinguisher to put it out because it would accelerate the fire. <laughs> and so I got used to having buckets of sand nearby in case my fight against impurities was not good enough and some water creeped into my my reaction and caused a bit of an explosion. You know, the joke between a pure chemistry major and a chemical engineer is that when a chemistry major makes a mistake, he blows up a lab. When a chemical engineer makes a mistake, he blows up a plant. So anyway, you can take that home and think about it. But the Christian life is much like that. We're in a fight. It is a fight for purity. It is a fight against impurities. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Does it mean absolute perfection? If it does, none of us have a chance, right? Does it mean ivory soap? Now, I don't know what the current commercials about ivory soap would be today, but back in my history related to commercials, the ivory soap commercial claimed that it, have a, it had a level of purity in 99 point, you know what the point is? 4-4? Did someone say that? 99.44% pure. I mean, is that the level of, pu- of purity? Not perfect, but pretty good? No. In case you haven't figured this out, God doesn't grade on a curve, even though we appreciate professors who do. Thankfully not. Pure in heart doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean almost perfection, 99.44. The best way to understand purity of heart is to see it in the context of the other Beatitudes. Samuel Storms writes this, several sentences here, so just hang with me with this quote. Storm says, the pure in heart is the person who, now, when I read this, think about the other Beatitudes, okay? Storms writes, the pure in heart is the person who mourns over the impurity of his, her heart. To be pure in heart begins with the acknowledgement of one's spiritual bankruptcy, apart from the grace of God. To be pure in heart is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To be pure in heart is not absolute perfection in this life, but the intense, relentless pursuit of it. To be pure in heart is to engage in an ongoing, never-ending pursuit in the power of God's grace for holiness. It is a pursuit of holiness in which we are never satisfied, never full, always hungry for more, never quenched, but always thirsty for more, never rich, but always with a sense of spiritual poverty. And then he quotes Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher, that heart is impure, which sees no need of purity. The pure in heart, says Storms, may sin, but he feels no complacency in it. What encapsulates 
my thinking on this beatitude are those few words, but words packed with meaning from Thomas Watson. That heart is impure, which sees no need of purity. Let me ask you a question this morning. As I ask myself, do we see our need for purity inwardly? Because if you do, then by God's grace, you are living in line with blessed are the poor, pure in spirit. Being pure in heart means we acknowledge our poverty of spirit. We mourn over our sin. We are meek and humble in being transparent before God and men. We see how desperately we need to be reminded of how much mercy we have been shown because we can be so unmerciful in our reactions and in our relationships with others. It means we hunger and thirst for holiness more and more and more. We pursue purity. In Psalm 24, used in our call to worship this morning, we might be tempted to view this psalm in contradiction to this understanding of purity, but in reality, it's consistent with it because Psalm 24 doesn't describe one who is absolutely pure, but one who pursues having clean hands and a pure heart. And he pursues having clean hands and a pure heart in <clears throat> verses 2, 3, and 4 because of what is said in verse 5, what he has received from God. Verse 5 says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He's able to pursue clean hands and a pure heart because of that inward work of God's grace. The disciple who pursues inward purity fights against contamination, impurities, hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And the result is that he or she will see God. He or she will know God. He or she will be in relationship with God. That's the end of the beatitude. And today we see God, we know God, we have a relationship with him, but our, our vision of God is dim, as Paul says, but one day it will not be. One day we will see God in all of his glory face to face. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, they will see his face. They, you and me, if we know the Lord Jesus savingly, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for even today they see God dimly. But one day they will see him and the veil will be removed. How should we live in light of who we are in Christ as his disciples, as one who is meant 
to be pure in heart and out of that to live externally a life of piety? A simple illustration will do. You've heard this. I've said it before. What is in the well comes up in the bucket. What is in the heart comes out in our words, in our actions, in our motives, and we can go on and on and on. We live out of our hearts. We should be more concerned about inward purity than external piety. Why? Because Jesus is more concerned with inward purity than external piety. Is external piety important? Absolutely. Is it essential? Absolutely. Is it necessary? Absolutely. But what determines true external piety is inward purity. It's the heart. And Jesus, like he said to the Pharisees, you ignore the heart. It's my focus. True obedience springs from a heart that is pure, that is undivided, that is full of love for Christ to overflowing. Left to our own ability and power, we will fail at being pure in heart. We will continue and improve on playing the hypocrite. <laughs> we will grow in our ability to fake external piety while inwardly we're overflowing in sin. Why? Because we're living like the Pharisees, ignoring the heart and simply trying to look good on the outside. So what must we give ourselves to in order to seek to be pure in heart? We need grace and we need to ask for the gracious work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts. Just one implication today, to ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts, to make us pure more and more within, that our external piety might have integrity with our inward purity. The determining factor is God's grace working in our hearts. And we are called to ask the Holy Spirit to do that work. That asking the Holy Spirit to do that work is an act of faith. It's acknowledging we can't make our hearts pure. We can play the hypocrite. But we can't strengthen our inner man, our inner woman, so that there's integrity between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. But God the Holy Spirit can. He has the power and the ability to strengthen our inner being that we might live externally consistent with what's going on on the inside. And I have just one scripture to recommend to you this morning. 
It is a scripture I have recommended time and time again. It is a scripture that I recommend to myself time and time again. To me, in this discussion of a pure heart, in this discussion of a disciple is meant to have integrity between internal purity and external piety, this scripture is paramount to our understanding. It moves us to act, to ask the Holy Spirit to work. And here it is. Take your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, whatever you got, and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. This is a Paul, um, this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. We might even label this a prayer of sanctification. But it is a prayer that I would suggest, if I would implore us to pray for ourselves and for one another. If you ever are, are at a loss as to what to pray for me, then pray this prayer. I would greatly appreciate it. Here's the prayer. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you are wondering how do I grow in inward purity it begins with this prayer asking God the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do to strengthen our hearts and to flood our hearts with the love of Christ to overflowing that our external piety may simply be that overflow that is in our hearts of the love of Christ the disciple is meant to have integrity between inward purity and external piety. And the only way to be what we are meant to be is the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in strengthening our hearts that we would fight to be pure inwardly so we can be pious truly obedient outwardly let us pray God our father we are grateful that you've given us the diagnosis and also the prescription to our terrible problem in our heart and our terrible default setting playing the hypocrite and father I would ask and pray that more and more that you would bring us to our knees and that we would cry out to you in prayer oh God the Holy Spirit that through the gift of faith 
that you would pour out your power, which is the love of Christ, upon our hearts to overflowing. And as we experience that overflow, that that might be the root and the source of our external piety. God, thank you that you call us to be pure in heart, to hunger and thirst for holiness, and you provide the power in the Holy Spirit to accomplish that very thing. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.